I want other people's eyes involved. I've realized in the last couple of years that you can reach a point of design burnout where like your ideas don't even seem fresh to you anymore, (laughs) where you're like, oh my God, am I doing the same thing over again? I need like someone else's opinion. Hi, I'm Caitlin Peterson, the editor-in-chief of Business of Home. Welcome to Trade Tales. In each episode, I'll be talking to interior designers about everything from nurturing creativity and finding their firm's financial footing to discovering their own version of success. This season, we're also focusing on career pivots, showcasing the changes a principal made that truly helped them spring ahead. My guest today is a designer who found herself taking on new employees, new clients, and new real estate before she had a chance to really envision her firm's future. To keep from spinning out of control, she went looking for a business coach. But instead of talking through the numbers and thinking about KPIs, the pro she hired helped her come to a surprising realization that in order to move her firm forward, the first thing she'd have to do was look inward. I can't wait to share it with you. But first, a quick word from our sponsors. This podcast is sponsored by The Shade Store. The Shade Store offers designers everywhere a simplified resource for premium handcrafted custom window treatments. With a team of dedicated design consultants available to guide you through the material and product selection process, measure and install professionals to ensure the perfect fit in 140 showrooms nationwide. The Shade Store offers bespoke customization of a high-end workroom backed by the support of a national organization. Let the Shade Store take care of the window treatments for you. Sign up for a trade account today at theshadestore.com slash trade. This podcast is also sponsored by Mitchell Gold plus Bob Williams, which is celebrating an exciting new designer collaboration with AD100 and El Decor A-list designer Rafael de Cardenas. The 19-piece collection features artful designs, bold colors, and beautiful handcrafted forms, all with MG plus BW Homes' legendary comfort and heirloom quality. Discover pieces with personality for living, dining, and bedroom, from the designer's popular contrast color poofs to modern dining and storage. Plus, every piece of upholstery can be customized to your client's style with more than 400 exclusive fabrics. The Larger Than Life collection is available now at mgbwhome.com slash rdc. I was always creative. I always loved art. I was very into fashion. I kind of thought that that was going to be my career. And I was very into doing my own thing. My room was like my space in the house. My mom has a great eye and our house was always really well done. But my room was like mayhem, like wallpapering my walls with CD inserts and hanging up band posters and hanging weird lights on the walls and stuff. And I just, it was my way of self-expression. It was certainly not refined or anything anyone would want to look at, but it was kind of um, the place where I could do my thing. That's Katie Monkhouse. She took the fashion route at first, spending more than a decade in the industry as a buyer, merchandiser, and eventually store designer. After buying her first house, she discovered her love of interiors. And before long, she found an opportunity to flex her skills outside her home. 
I was working on people's retail stores and one of the store owners said, why don't you do people's houses? And I said, oh, I never went to school for that. Um, I love the idea of it, but I don't know how to do it. And she just said, do my kids' rooms. She was kind of like, just do whatever you want. So I was like, okay, well, this is so fun. What could we come up with? You know, I was like putting together random mood boards and I was just sending her links of things to buy herself. Like there was no, there was no process whatsoever. Somehow we did it though. Somehow we did it. And they were, the kids' rooms were adorable. It definitely lit that fire and kind of made me realize like, this is really what I want to do. Katie was hooked. And her next order of business was finding an inroad into what she hoped would be her new career path. I had a business of my own. I was working freelance for a bunch of different retail stores, helping them with their buying and merchandising. And But I was kind of like, how could I pivot to this? My son, who was a toddler at the time, was in preschool and made a friend. And his friend's mom was a designer. So I just begged her to let me come work for her as like an intern, just to see what she does. I just had to get behind the scenes. And she allowed me to do that. Um, and I spent about six months or so working with her and just kind of understanding like, oh, okay, so like that's really what a proposal should look like or a mood board or, you know, seeing her interaction with the clients and being like, oh, okay, I could, I could do this. I could figure this out. After spending those six months under her friend's wing, Katie officially launched her own design firm in 2016. I wanted to talk to her about seeking out more creative freedom from her clients, why she's eager to recruit fresh voices to join her team, and how identifying her core values helped clarify her firm's future. What did the early days of kind of the back end of your business look like? Um, I had a podcast education on how to run a business. Um, I listened to a lot of design podcasts and kind of got all kinds of information like, oh, okay, I should use this software. Okay, I need to register the business and get a business bank account because, you know, this isn't a hobby anymore. And I tried to make sure I was set up on the back end, you know, registering a company, business bank accounts, QuickBooks, using Ivy or whatever the project management software was I was on at the time. And I did try to set it up the right way from the beginning. I like that you said you had a podcast education, but I did. <laughs> what were sort of the what were the things that you knew that were important to you or that you knew wanted you wanted to be sort of the cornerstones of your business in the beginning? I like the freedom of having my own business, sustainability, the integrity part of it is really important to me. So like on a on a values level, those things have stayed really consistent. And I just I realized quickly that the type of clients were really important having people that wanted to work with me specifically, not just like a designer in general, people that were in a similar life stage to me was really important because I understood them more. I was kind of on that same level mentally and like economically. So I didn't feel like I was uncomfortable working on their spaces. That's really interesting because I feel like so often... You hear coaches or just designers even giving the advice that, you know, your budget isn't always your client's budget. Totally. I mean, to be fair, their budgets were still bigger than mine. Right. (laughs) It was like within the realm of imagination. Yeah. Like it didn't, you know, I wasn't going down to the design center and going to these like old school high-end vendors. I was kind of using more small vendors and interesting and vintage. And it was important to me that I felt comfortable in that in that space. 
to feel confident in what I was doing. So it was like I, a lot of my clients and even a lot of them now are still young families. We're not creating homes that are museums. These are very lived in. I still feel like I'm in a zone where I'm comfortable. How do you talk about that with clients? And what do you come into the conversation with clients? You know, what are they excited to build together? Early projects, there was a lot of, this is their first time working with a designer, or this is the first home that they want to make really special. And now I feel like we have a lot of people that have either been through the process or have renovated a house before. This is now their forever home. So they're investing more in it. Like our budgets have increased significantly, but people's desire to have a home that really serves them is still something that I think is front and center in these conversations. I think they're willing to invest more than maybe my early clients were, but they still don't want things that are untouchable. And I, I feel the same. Like I don't want there to be a chair in your home that you don't want anyone to sit in. I think that there's a level of livability that we strive to deliver and with budgets going up, we can make those things more beautiful and more interesting, but it still has to serve a purpose and feel, and sometimes that purpose is just beauty and that's amazing. I love beauty for the sake of beauty, Um, (laughs) but it has to be built into a space that is already incredibly functional and livable. Can you talk a little bit about your approach to client relationships and client management? I used to say, I want clients that I want to go get a glass of wine with. Like I want clients that I want to spend time with that. Not that, you know, they're all going to become friends, but people that like I would be friends with. Yeah. Because it's a long-term relationship. I mean, these days our projects go on for two years, three years, and there's, there's highs and lows in that process. And I think... I work really hard on flexing that gut feeling muscle to try to make sure that like, I feel like this is someone that I can spend the next two years with because it's just as important for my mental health as it is for the uh, success of the project to make sure that I'm partnering with people that feel excited about the process, that feel that are respectful, that are, that there's a level of trust there that they genuinely like your work. So those things are really important to me and they become more and more important. And I've gotten a lot better about boundaries with clients as well, trying to get people off of text messages and (laughs) unscheduled phone calls and that sort of thing. So while I still want these clients that I feel like I could really, you know, I get along with really well, I still want there to be a clear division of relationship there. How do you start with that? How do you protect that? How do you put that in place? (laughs) It is a work in progress, but um, (laughs) I've gotten a lot better and a lot bolder with just saying, hey, we need to move this to email. You know, sometimes people will text and sometimes there is, there is a place for that when there needs to be a quick decision on something. But I try to lead by example and not invade their personal space or to contact them after hours or, you know. I have gotten really good about scheduling my emails to go out in the morning instead of them sending at 11 o'clock at night when I'm writing them. Mm-hmm. Because I think if I don't set that precedent of office hours, then no one will respect it. So it's definitely a work in progress. Is that surprising to clients ever? Some clients like right off the bat are texting me. Um, and I have learned to just say, hey, like the whole team needs visibility on these these communications because it's not only me. 
So I always say, please just let's get this into email so that everyone can be on it. And I think that if we nip that early, it, I think people are respectful of it. But yeah, it's hard because there is an expectation with a text message or like an Instagram message that you're going to immediately respond to someone. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I have clients that message me things on Instagram all the time. And then it's like a whole different thing because they see, they know that you've seen it. Right. (laughs) It's been seen. But again, I mean, I just try to, I just try to always say like, hey, can you send that image over to me on email? So I have record of it. That's the only way. Just keep reinforcing it over and over again. (laughs) You mentioned your team and I wanted to ask you about them. When did you start hiring and what were you hiring for in the beginning? Um, So I hired my first person in 2020. Um, I had worked by myself for three or four years at that point. And two of those years or a year and a half of that, I had been living in England, which is like a whole nother thing. Um, (laughs) (laughs) and kind of actually working, continue to work on projects in California, um, and go back and forth. But then pandemic grounded us in California. Um, and we decided to stay in, as everyone knows, it got really busy. So I wanted to bring someone on and in my podcast education, I learned that I need to hire for strengths that I don't have. So, the idea was to get someone with more technical skills than I had. I was not successful in that. I hired someone that I just loved. Okay. <laughs> That's I mean, amazing. Yeah. I mean, I was like, this is what I need. I need someone that can do CAD. I need someone who's better at SketchUp than me. I need someone that can. But what I ended up hiring was a junior designer who has lots of skills and she was amazing. Um, but that was my first hire and she was with me for a little over two years. What did bringing someone on change about your experience in your own firm? When you're by yourself, no one else is looking over your shoulder to see what you're doing. You know, when you're by yourself, you kind of, you are the master of your own chaos. And then you bring someone in you're like, oh, this has to all make sense because somebody else has to be able to pick up where you leave off. So there was a lot of a lot of realizing that as much as I thought I kind of had things set up the right way, there was a lot of room for improvement. And it also made me realize that I wasn't really ready to delegate out design. I was a lot, I was ready to delegate a lot, but I wasn't ready to delegate design, which was surprising to me. I don't consider myself a controlling person. (laughs) Okay. How did that man, how did that show up? To begin with, It was like, wait, why did I hire someone? Because I'm like, literally won't give anything up. But I was still really doing everything myself on the design side, like choosing everything, all of the sourcing, all of the scheming, all of that kind of stuff was really still me. And then I was having assistance and like pulling it together, getting the presentations ready, quoting product, procurement, um, So in that way, it was great because I ended up realizing like, while I didn't hire someone that was technically more advanced than me, uh, she was a lot more organized than I was. And she was very operationally proficient. It was great at all of those things. Because I was like, well, those are the things that I like genuinely do not want to do. So it's great that while, um, you know, she wasn't on the technical side she was amazing on the operational side um, with a great eye too. So like, it was great to have someone else that would just look at what you were doing and kind of had a sounding board. 
like, does this look great or is this weird? <laughs> Which is like, oh always, this is always the question in the office. Is this cool or is this weird? And it's great to have someone with a good eye that can kind of gut check you in that way. And then the next hire was more technical. So we got there in the end. I want to ask you about that in a second. But first, what is the most recent thing where the answer back to that question has been, oh, that's weird? <laughs> Oh my God. It's so funny. Um, actually in the office today, we were pulling together props for a photo shoot and I got these vintage Frida Kahlo prints, which to be fair, are a little bit weird. Um, <laughs> but I love them. Uh, they're, they're photographs and we couldn't find a frame that fit right. So we got like this floating frame. And then I have this Pierre Frey wallpaper that I love that I was going to use behind it to like fill up the white space. And I was like, is this like, HGTV DIY or is this cool? Like I couldn't, yeah. I couldn't tell. We're still, the jury is still out. We okay. think it might be cool, but we're not sure. I love that. <laughs> I love that. You said you got there on the technical side. What does your team look like today? Well, so it looks very different from that. So we did actually hire another, at one point I had two junior designers and one of them was more technically savvy. One was more operationally savvy. Um, and we've evolved and changed many times since then. Um, and at the moment we are myself, my studio manager who deals with all of our scheduling, new client inquiries, um, onboarding new clients, just generally making sure that I'm not triple booking myself mm-hmm. for things all the time. Just double booking. Um, yeah. Just, <laughs> oh, we only double book now. We're super efficient. Um, <laughs> So she's amazing. And she actually was my assistant buyer back in my fashion days. So we had a past life together, which is great. Um, And then we now have a role of a project manager who deals with all of the operational things. So we no longer have a junior designer who does like both things. We're trying to really separate out those roles. So our project manager deals with all of our procurement, all of our operations, coordination of trades when needed. Um, and then I have a design assistant who's still in school, who's with us three days a week. And we are currently hiring a lead and a junior designer, which is very exciting. This is very new territory for me. What does it mean to you to have both a lead and a junior designer on your team? Because I know you said before you didn't want to delegate design. What, no. what changed? <laughs> uh, I want other people's eyes involved. I think I've re- I've realized in the last couple of years that you can reach a point of design burnout where like your ideas don't even seem fresh to you anymore, <laughs> where you're like, oh my God, am I doing the same thing over again? I need like someone else's opinion. I need like fresh ideas. I need fresh eyes and also people to refine with. So the idea of bringing in a lead designer is that we would be able to bring on more projects because we can split up the workload a bit more. And with our projects growing in size and the length of the projects, all of a sudden, like this year, we found four projects going into construction at the same time. And I can't be the only one out doing site visits. You know, there needs to be other people that really understand the ins and outs of the implementation of the design that can go and say, okay, that junction box looks like it's, I know that's where we drew it, but based on this and this, it, it doesn't really make sense. So let's, I need someone who has that capability. Um, and has the eye for those details and has ownership over it. So my thought is bringing in a lead designer that can kind of spearhead some of these projects on their own would allow us to bring on more projects, but also collaborate more. You know, when I had two junior designers, I was still so stuck in like, 
everything has to be me. Yeah. But I don't think I, I allowed their design voice in as much as it could have been. I really want my role to be setting the initial design intention, coming up with these concepts, and then letting people develop them, and then coming together to refine and edit, refine and edit. And I want to be deeply embedded in the design, but I don't think I need to be, I don't need to choose everything. I want someone else's ideas. For 34 years, Mitchell Gold plus Bob Williams has been providing premium quality, handcrafted, and sustainably sourced upholstery and furnishings to the trade. MG plus BW Home is renowned for its comfort and endless customization options with more than 400 exclusive fabrics, COM offerings, and specialty collections. And when it comes to trade programs, the company offers industry-leading benefits and incentives to support designers, including generous trade discounts and rebates. Plus, take advantage of the convenient online shopping, personalized support from MG plus BW's in-store and virtual trade concierge, invites to CEU events, and exclusive promotions. Sign up today at mgbwhome.com slash trade. Why now? What made you realize that collaboration felt important for the next step of your business? To really advance our designs and to deliver better and better projects and better and better experiences for our clients, I need other people's experience. Because I realize, not that it's a downfall, but my only experience is with my own studio. I've never really worked for anyone other than that six months stint with another designer. So I don't know what I don't know. And I love the idea of bringing people in that have experience in studios that are more elevated than us or larger than us. And, you know, what can their experience bring to our process, our design? I was reading this book last week and there was a line in there that said, there's a point in every artist's journey where their taste outweighs their talent. And I was thinking about that, how, you know, I look at some designs and I'm like, that is so beautiful. How do I get there? And then sometimes I look at projects that we've just recently finished that we designed a year or two ago. And I'm like, oh, I could have done more. I could have done this. And I feel like sometimes when you're in an echo chamber of your own, you know, design and abilities, there's no one pushing you further in that moment um, other than yourself. And sometimes you can't, you can't see it. So I just, I love the idea of having fresh perspective and people with other experiences they can bring to this. Do you worry about not wanting to give away the design now? I think I realized that no matter what, I won't really give it away, but I am interested in seeing what people can create within the framework of a vision, you know? Because sometimes I come up with these grand ideas in my mind and I'm like, I don't know how to communicate that or draw that or get there or what source would I use for that? Um, and I think if we can expand the team with people that have experience outside of what we do here, they might be able to answer those questions. I would never give it up to the point where someone would design a project and I would just sign off on it. Because then at that point, like I could have any business if other people are producing. But I think the point is is being there in the initial creative vision, coming up with the ideas. I love the process. And when I was a buyer, it was the same. 
you know, we go and we see all these different lines for fashion, but I'm pulling from it what I think is the best, or, you know, I'm refining that collection down to what I think is right for our client or the season or whatever it was. So it's kind of a similar, it's kind of a similar process, like the refining and the editing that I really love. So I think letting someone else run with an idea and then kind of bringing it back and looking at those details and how could we do this differently and how can we do this better? Or what if we did it this way? I just, I just have this deep feeling that like, that's how we'll get to that next level of output. What does leveling up mean to you? Getting to a point where we have clients that are giving us a lot of freedom. And I think that comes with a lot of trust and that comes with consistently putting out projects at a certain level and people going, okay, we just want you to do what you do. And I know that that's kind of like everyone's dream and maybe that's not a reality, (laughs) but, um, to some extent, you know, getting to the point where the clients are really like, we want to see what you can make with this. Not so much like, here's what we want. It's like, here's what we have to work with. What could you guys create? And I feel like if I got to that point where our projects were trending in that direction, then I would feel like we're at the next level. We do get quite a bit of freedom with clients, but we're not like fully, fully there yet. What was it that made you start looking for a coach to work with? It's very interesting. So I think it was late 2021 and basically a a space came up down the street from our current office space. And I was like, oh, I love that space. I love that building. Could we move over there? But we still have a year lease on this space. What does that mean? And because my background was in retail, we had kind of toyed with a little little showroom area in our studio. Like maybe we just turn this into a shop and we move our office down the street. And you know, we were really busy with projects. It felt like inquiries were really steady. It felt like we had kind of hit a stride with like having a really consistent pipeline. The level of the projects and the budgets of the projects were a lot larger. And I was like, maybe let's just do this. I am, like I've said, not a planner. So (laughs) I was kind of like, cool, we'll just we'll just sign the lease, we'll get some merch, we'll turn this into a shop. And I kind of just leapt um, and realized that when you worked for yourself and there's, you don't have a boss, you don't have someone holding you accountable. I found that I would do things like decide to sign a second lease and open a store. (laughs) Um, And no one's going, but what's, you know, what's the plan? What's the process? What are the financials look like? And I thought, okay, well, I need someone to help me navigate that. How can we grow sustainably, which was kind of like the main the main question. So while making these like pivots and changes, opening stores, hiring people, it's all very exciting, but I also like (laughs) have him and like supporting, like helping support my family. Um, It's not a hobby. Like we, like this is actually like the foundation of our family's financial health. So am I just running down this hill way too fast and where, you know, my feet are going to go out from underneath me at any minute. So my thought was get a coach, get someone that's going to look at this with you and make a plan and make sure that this is sustainable and make sure that this is like financially healthy and like emotionally healthy. I had mentioned to a friend that I wanted to find like a corporate coach or business coach. And they said, Oh, I talked to this person and she's amazing. I never really went further than that. Like, what does she do for you? Or <laughs> I never even looked at her website to see like what, how she described what she did. I just called her. How much do you cost? Great. When can we start? 
that that's amazing. <laughs> and what I got was something very different from what I was looking for. And I think it was exactly what I needed, which is, you know, someone sustainability was more at the core from like a values perspective, from a health perspective, from a um, holistics perspective. Like how does your business interact with your life and your family? And, you know, it was just a very different approach than what I thought I was signing up for. And now that it's been like over a year, I just, I'm like, Oh, this is, this is wonderful. (laughs) What were the, the first things that she sort of helped you make sense of in your business? Yeah. So I think I kind of told her how I just decided I was going to open a store and, you know, (laughs) sign this other lease. And, um, and she was like, well, what are your goals? And I'm like, well, I haven't really done financial goals yet. And this, and she's like, no, like what, what do you want this business to look like? Like, what do you want it to feel like? How do you want it to support your life? And I was like, well, I haven't looked at that either. Um, (laughs) um, But I thought she was like, you know, going to ask me, well, how much is it going to cost to start up a store? And how much do you have saved? But it was more like, what what is the goal of this store? What are you looking to achieve with this? How is it supporting your life? Um, How is it supporting your business? How are you going to manage your output? when you have these two different things. Um, And so how she starts is basically like identifying your values. Like what are your values? What are these core values that you're building your life and your business on? We have a list and it evolves and grows. And when I go to her with these big questions or these plans of mine, it's like, or things that are really upsetting me in my business. It's like, well, you know, what value is that stepping on? And you kind of, you're like, oh yeah, integrity or, you know, freedom or empowerment or whatever it is. And when you start to look at things from that perspective, it's a little bit easier to not be reactionary because it gives you, it just gives you a foundation on which to make decisions. Like, is this supporting my values or is this like ego driven or is this whatever? You really look at things differently. We're taking a quick break to remind designers about one of the benefits of the Shade Store's trade program. Trade exclusive access to the Shade Store's COM program for Roman shades, drapery, and cornices. Combined with the Shade Store's extensive collection of more than 1,300 in-stock materials, the creative possibilities are virtually endless. Visit theshadestore.com trade to sign up for a trade account and learn more today. Were there things about your business that you changed very quickly once you started working with Marcy? Just simple things like like delegating more because empowerment is important to me. So I want my team to feel empowered to make decisions, to take action, to be proactive on things and not constantly be the bottleneck, <laughs> which I tend to be. So once I realize that that's really important to me, then I can give that to them. And integrity is really important to me. So sometimes just calling things what they are or naming it with a client, you know, if someone's upset about something and just owning it, or if we make a mistake, just like getting ahead of it, owning it, making it right. Um, We did actually add design sessions into our offering during the quiet time. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And I mean, it's kind of in the vein of the expert, but we do it in our office. Um, And this is something that I kind of workshopped with Marcy a bit too, because we were slower and I was like, what, you know, 
what can we offer? We're still getting inquiries, but they're not really at the level that we would normally take. And what would that look like? And so we came up with um, doing in-office design sessions. So someone can book that and come in and we have all the resources of our library. Um, And I really wanted to focus on local because we have the resources here and I can refer you to a specific upholsterer or a handyman or a carpenter Um, And it feels like we can really add a lot of value in that way. So that was an interesting pivot outside of the retail thing that felt like a good way to capture additional business. And also it is like a little mini creative outlet because we get to just kind of be creative with clients and problem solve. And then it's on them to kind of do what they want with that and implement. So there's not this like long (laughs) drawn out process with it. Right. And it's not, you know, it's not us then ordering things for them or coordinating trades or anything. It's kind of, it's a nice way to have these fun little creative bursts. And then people really enjoyed it and they like send pictures of things that they've done afterwards. And it, it was actually a much easier and more natural pivot than trying to start a whole retail business. (laughs) on top of my design business. Yeah. Financially, how did that fold into your business? And was that also sort of immediately, is it something you keep doing even once business picks up for full service work? Yeah. So we, we have it on like an automatic calendar so people can book it and the calendar is linked to our studio calendar. So it automatically books off any days that we have a lot of stuff going on. And right now we're down to just one day that's available on the calendar. So on Wednesdays, if you happen to catch that window, you could book it. And I always tell people they can email us if they have other dates. But yeah, it's really manageable. And it's instantly profitable because it's just my time. Um, And we already have this studio filled with materials. And, um, you know, if we book, I think we've been booking like three to four a month. It's great. Like it's just a little something extra basically covers our rent, which is awesome. And it's a way of capturing some of these inquiries that are not, that wouldn't require full service. You know, we have people inquire about like, oh, I'm redoing a guest bathroom, which we wouldn't take on because we have certain minimums, but it gives us a way of saying, this doesn't hit our minimums for full service, but if you're interested, you could book a design session and we couldn't talk through materials and layout and that kind of stuff with you, but then you would be kind of on your own for implementation. And so many people are like, oh yeah, that's all I need. I just need someone to like help me pick the tile and figure out what finished faucet I want. And, you know, we have enough stuff in the in our office that we could easily pull together a single bathroom from our existing materials. What do you have to do at the beginning to make sure that when that session is over, it ends? Yeah. So there's like an onboarding that happens you know, before the session. And then there's an offboarding. So they basically get, um, my design assistant sits in on all of these and she types up all the notes and we put links to things that we talk about. And it just kind of has a list of local resources that we like to use. And then it's like, you know, if you have more questions, click here to book another design session. Right. (laughs) So it kind of just puts a, you know, ties it up in a neat little bow. We send it off and we're like, good luck. Is that something that is sort of omnipresent in your day? Is it something you're thinking about every single day? Or is it something that maybe you can go a few days or a few weeks without kind of needing to get back in tune with? I wouldn't say it's every day, but I'm sure like a couple times a week, something comes up where I can really look at it from that perspective. Like some long-term shifts, like I don't stay up late working all the time anymore. Like I find that some of the interesting shifts were more like how my business affects my 
personal life and trying to find that balance. And also like I was on this path where I was like, grow, 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 get bigger, do, you know, open stores, do things. Um, (laughs) But what's interesting is I, it's totally slowed me down, but in a great way, like just made me look at it. Like, why am I doing this? Like what, what is it serving? Is it as important as I'm making it out to be because it wasn't sustainable. Like the growth rate didn't, it wasn't sustainable. So now it feels like I look at things and I'm like, how does that, how's that going to support my overall, overall well-being? How's that going to support, you know, my team and their overall well-being, like not overloading people, not like adding so much to our plate that we can't stay above water. Um, and just little things like one of the things we talk about to avoid burnout is to like mark the end of something and celebrate it. So like while we were in the depths of things in 2021, we were moving so quickly from project to project that we would finish a project, wrap it, shoot it, move on. We're on the next one. And like, no one ever took the time to reflect and celebrate to go, wow, that was amazing. Like we just spent two years on that house and it's beautiful and the clients are happy and look at these photos and, or to look at it and go, what could we have done better? what do we nail in that project and what, what can we change to be better next time? It was kind of like just moving from one to the next. Is there a ritual around that now where you do stop and celebrate and reflect? We try to do it quarterly where we have like just like a quarterly outing that we went antiquing two weeks ago. I took everyone up to, we got a car service. We went up to wine country and we did antiquing and we went to lunch and we kind of talked about, this first quarter of the year and what our goals were for next quarter. Um, And it really allows you to reflect, reward, celebrate, and then be like refreshed and excited to go on to the next. You said that, you know, this process has sort of slowed you down in some ways, but is slowing down still profitable or do you feel like you did sacrifice some financial growth in the name of something else? I feel like the opposite. I feel like it's made me move through my business with more intention and I look at things differently. I think it's probably this year, hopefully making me more profitable because I'm not trying to grow this big retail arm of the business because I've realized that it's probably not super profitable and it's not sustainable for my mental (laughs) capacity either, like bandwidth-wise. Um, so it kind of allowed me to look at it from both sides. Like, are we like, what are the most profitable parts of our business? Where can we expand into what is serving me from like a creative standpoint? What's making me happy in my business? I don't know if people ask themselves a lot. Um, (laughs) it makes me look at things from both perspectives. And I think the slowing down actually allows me to analyze things. And to look at things from that perspective um, and not just be moving at the speed of light, not stopping to be like, wait a second, like, am I actually enjoying this? Is this actually making me any more money? Is this actually a long-term plan? So in the vein of pivots, you know, we kind of, we brought the shop over to the office, we consolidated, we made it into a showroom. We're focusing more on art and the custom furniture and my redone vintage furniture, because those are the parts of that business that I love. And those are the parts of the business that are profitable. <laughs> so so that retail side kind of, it allowed me to 
reflect on that a bit more on both sides of it. So like, what is filling my cup with this, but also what is profitable? When you started asking yourself, okay, what about my business makes me happy? Were you surprised (laughs) where you landed? I don't think so. I think the creative part of my business is always what's made me happy. It, It didn't surprise me with the retail side either. Like it wasn't, it wasn't making me happy to constantly be looking for like small giftable items to be able to sell in the store. Like that wasn't, that is not who I am or what I wanted. Um, what I love is the design side of it. And, you know, our vintage collection is like my passion project. And then our custom furniture is similar. I develop it with them, a furniture maker I've been working with for years. And I love that process. And then the local art. I mean, we we represent a bunch of local artists and their pieces live in our showroom and we have art shows and they've been really successful. And so those three elements were what made me happy. And when I looked at the numbers, they're also what made us profitable. So it was great. You know, I mean, I feel like having a coach allowed me to kind of look at that. And when we say sustainable, it's really on both sides. It's like, how is this feeding um, on the like emotional side and how is this feeding on the, you know, business profitability side and where do those two things intersect? Is how you set goals different now? Yeah, I think it is. Um, and it's funny because while Marcy isn't like focused on the numbers thing, she does hold me accountable on it. Cause I'll say something like I want to hire, but I'm like worried about what that's going to look like on the bottom line and this and that. And she's like, well, did you run the numbers? Like, did you, did you analyze it? Did you look at it? And I'm like, no, 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 I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that. And she's not asking me what the numbers are, but she's asking me if I've done it, you know, have you looked at this? Do you feel good about it? Does it back up your intuition? You know, I can have these goals like, okay, I want to hire two people this year. So what does that look like? How many more projects do you need to bring on to support that? What is, you know, what are our rates need to look like to support that? Um, so the goals aren't different, but it has helped me be accountable for doing the work to support the goals. You mentioned too that in some ways what this process has changed for you the most was your personal life or how your business and your personal life, where they overlapped or where they kind of meet up in that Venn diagram. What did that feel like or where did you start to make changes there? my kids go to aftercare with school and it was kind of like a personal goal to be able to be home with them on Fridays, like one day a week, pick them up at the normal time, be home, shut my computer at two o'clock in the afternoon and having someone say, well, what does that look like? How can you achieve that? How does that make, how can we make that work? Um, And look at it. You know, it was like a personal goal, but I need the business to support it. And it's great because it really has changed. <laughs> it's it's really changed how my my flow is during the week. And I think it's made me so much, not that I was ever resentful of work because I love my work, but, you know, when you're choosing between parenting and working, <laughs> it can be hard. It's a hard struggle. There's guilt involved in that. So, you know, she kind of held that goal for me and we, and, while she didn't necessarily like sit there and crunch numbers and figure it out for me, it was kind of like, how do you get there? What does that look like? What does that feel like? And so that's been, that's been huge. And I've also learned to like enjoy the quiet times. (laughs) So like we were, 
quiet the first couple months of the year. And instead of panicking, I was kind of like, okay, maybe we don't work on Fridays. I don't open my computer when I go home from work. Like it will get busy again. And like, you have to have that, that faith and, you know, and not panic, but it was kind of like, I know that the busy season is coming. So how can I enjoy this little downtime instead of using it to like overanalyze and freak out and change everything and pivot, which is what I usually try to do when things are slow. But like, how can we just hold this as like a, like an opportunity to slow down a little bit and enjoy it? What is one thing you know now that you wish you had known when you started your business? Ooh, that's a good one. That <laughs> um, <laughs> you, it's okay to not know everything, <laughs> um, and don't pretend that you do. Um, Ooh, yeah, you know, I think that I think in the very beginning, because I didn't have a traditional background, I didn't go to school for interior design, I didn't have a lot of experience. I didn't like um, speaking up when I wasn't sure what the heck someone was talking about. <laughs> Just like go Google it later. But um, what's weird is that the longer I do this and the more I know, the more confident and comfortable I am saying that I don't know what you're talking about. Like, what exactly do you mean by that? Or um, I've never dealt with that specific thing before. So, you know, do you have a resource I can talk to about it if I'm talking to a contractor or something? And it's amazing. I mean, nobody, nobody looks at you and goes, you're a fraud because you've never... And, you know, like a quarry stone on a, on a fireplace before, um, (laughs) it takes time to learn that, but I think it would have probably saved me a lot of headaches in the beginning had I just been like, I actually would love some guidance on that because it's not something I'm familiar with and it's totally okay. And honestly, like contractors love talking to you about it. I, I, you know, I totally (laughs) geek out on that stuff. I geek out on it when I'm on site. I'm like, wait, why is that framed like that? And then they tell you, and the next time you're somewhere, you're like, Ashley, you can frame it this way. <laughs> They're like, wait, what? You know, I mean, it's it's great. The people will give you information and they like talking about it. And then it's always nice to put that in your back pocket for when you may need it. So I think, yeah, I wish I knew that it was okay to not know things from day one. What does success look like for you? My success doesn't look like someone else's success. I think I get really caught up in looking what, at what other people are doing as much as I wish I didn't and thinking like, oh, should I be doing that too? Should I like, sh- you know, should I have a blog? Should I, you know, be posting affiliate links? Should I have a retail store? I don't know. Like all, all the, of these all the things. Instagram stuff. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, you know, should I be traveling all over the country for projects? Like it makes me, instead of looking to what other people are doing for the idea of success, it's kind of like success is aligning with these values across all avenues of whatever it is that I'm doing in my business or my life. So it it's more looking internal for that mile marker of success than benchmarking it against somebody else's. That's beautiful. It's a work in progress, but that's what we are that's what we are <laughs> working towards. This has been incredible. Thank you so much. Thank you. I love this podcast. So I'm very honored to be on it. That's our show for today. Thank you so much for listening. Before you go, if you'd like to keep up with the latest design industry news, more great podcasts, check out new products, or browse job openings, head on over to businessofhome.com. If you have a note for the show or a story of your own to share, I'd love to hear from you. And you can email me at tradetales at businessofhome.com. 
Finally, if you're enjoying the podcast, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts to help others discover the show. Trade Tales is produced by me, Caitlin Peterson, with Fred Nicolaus and Caroline Burke. This episode was edited by Caroline Burke and Michael Castaneda. Our theme music is by Kyle Scott Wilson. Thanks again for listening, and I'll see you again in two weeks.